because that's the most important thing. You have exercised and and shown that you've changed. You know what what more could you do? You know than than you've already done. I think you've far exceeded anybody's expectations. So let me. I want to first. I want to go back to my childhood because you know being a victim of child abuse and a witness to domestic domestic violence abuse against my mother. It, it shaped me in a way. And when I was in fourth or fifth grade and so much of that stuff from my childhood, I blocked out, but I had a stepfather that literally almost beat me to death. And, um, you know, so that, that really messes with the kid's head. And in the following years, seventh grade, I, I found myself with nowhere to live, not knowing how to eat. And it, it's ironic because my whole seventh grade year, I can remember a girl that I went to school with, Want me lunch every day at school. What's up? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Uh, a couple of announcements before we get to this uh, show. Uh, the Con Episode 1, uh, you can catch tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Watch it free. Go to the con.tv forward slash event or to the link below in the description. You can catch the last podcast that I did with uh, Ricky Verandis and myself talk to the producer of the con, Patrick Lovell. Uh, it was a really good episode and a conversation. You can check that out. Also, the link is below. All the ways to connect to the show, uh, other podcasts that I've been on as a guest, uh, also direct links to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and all social media links. Check out the Linktree link in the description. Also, Patreon is up. If you want to help support the show, one of the ways that you can do this is to become a Patreon. And there's a couple of different levels of uh, support that you can uh, give over there. So uh, also, uh, there will be links in the description as well. And then one other thing that I, I'm, I'm looking for is if anybody out there knows a retired AUSA or if you don't know what that means, a, uh, a federal uh, prosecutor, a retired federal prosecutor that's willing to come on my show and uh, talk to me about uh, uh, conspiracy law in regards to the federal system. Uh, so to my guest today, we are talking with Richard Midkiff. And let me get this off here real quick. And Richard had served 23 years on a 39-year bid for murder when he was 17. Uh, he's currently uh, he got released on a on a new law change uh, that allowed minors to, um, or actually it allowed the courts or the the convicted to be able to go back and petition the courts to review their case uh, on on long sentences. I think that's how I how I uh, believe I read it. Uh, but I'm going to let Richard tell you his story and, and why we're actually here. Uh, Richard, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing um, great. Thank you for having me on your show, and thank you to all the listeners for uh, taking their time to hear my story. Um, 
few things, and I know that there's been a lot of information that's been put out there about my situation. Um, I was actually 19, and my co-defendant was 17. Um, what happened back in 1996, both of us were um, just just in a bad place. Both of us were, you know, on drugs, not living at home, just really bad place for two young people to be. And not to minimize what we did, I accept responsibility for my actions that day. But what occurred was I drove my co-defendant who was 17 to a drug dealer's house so he could rob him. And when he went in there, they got in a fight and a struggle ensued and a gun went off and the drug dealer ended up dying. We were subsequently arrested and charged with felony murder. And anybody that doesn't know about felony murder, whenever in the state of Florida, whenever you participate in an underlying felony and somebody dies, all parties are charged with first-degree murder. That's where I found myself in 1996. And um, eventually we secured a plea agreement for second-degree murder so that I could have some type of date to go home. So later on that year, my co-defendant also took a plea that was structured off of the same plea I had. However, there was an additional caveat placed in his plea at the insistence of the family, and that is that he would serve along with the more culpable person in this offense. Um, as the years went by and he attempted to litigate through the courts, this is what they said to him is we have a quid pro quo agreement with you and the co-defendant, and if we reduce your sentence or let you out or do anything like that, it will violate his rights. So fast forward now to 2018, and he has an opportunity to file for a resentencing and a judicial review based on new ju juvenile laws. And he goes to that, and even in that hearing, the state attorney said, well, wait a minute, this is going to be unfair to Midkiff. We, we may need to go look at that. And the judge proceeded to resentence my co-defendant and release him. When I found out, I prepared a motion to enforce the stipulation in the plea agreement, and the judge brought me back to court. She agreed with me. My attorneys obviously agreed with me. However, the assistant state attorney assigned to my case did not agree with me. But we had a hearing on it, and at the end of the day, the judge recognized that there was an agreement, there was a meeting of the minds here, and she released me a year ago after serving 23 years in prison. And, um, you know, I came home, and it's not that I just, I, I came home free, I came home with 15 years probation. So I come out, and this is where I find myself, and, you know, a lot of people just with probation alone, they, they can't handle the pressures of it. I'm dealing with that, and I'm dealing with it well, but then I also have an appeal that the state filed against me. Both of these things going on at the same time as I'm trying to build my life and, and create a business and continue to help people like I was doing in prison, and I've been successful in all of that since I've come home. Yeah, the one of the things that I found interesting and when I, I listened to uh James Jones's interview with you is that I mean you gave a really detailed description of your story and that as well. Um, you know, you were you were a product of of a poor upbringing basically. You know, you yeah. you were a, a childhood abuse um, you know, physical abuse, uh, uh witnessing your mother uh, you know, being abused as well. Um, you know, so you you really 
the one the one thing you know being an addict myself and somebody who struggled with that and grew up in a in an abusive household as well um it was uh it's trauma you know trauma and it really you don't know what's going to cause the trauma and how it's going to manifest itself in, in in a child's life or or a person's life um and you know for you it, it manifested itself in in that way right uh and and also too uh, that like when you were doing your time you didn't like you had no idea that any of this was even going to transpire and from the beginning of your sentence it sounds like you know once once you got there you kind of had a, a clear idea of what you wanted to do with your time and uh you know you you executed that f- perfectly actually as a as somebody who's been incarcerated and and knows that not there's not many people and James said it great you know there's not many people that are going to get in there and start thinking about how they can help other people most of the time they get in there they they either depending on their their level of support on the outside and what kind of a system you're in you know if you're in a state system you can you know sometimes you can have TVs and all this other stuff and there are guys literally that will never leave their their door their room uh, and, right. ju- and just watch TV and just go to chow or their job or whatever. And they just stay away. Uh, you know, so to be able to, you know, do what you've done, which you, you've started a couple of organizations while you were in there, you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, programs and other stuff to help other inmates get out or help them, uh, with things like financing, knowing how to, I mean, you said it perfectly when you explained it, I, I'm going to screw it up. So why don't you go ahead and, and talk a little bit about that? Because that's the most important thing. You have exercised and and shown that you've changed. You know what? What more could you do? You yeah. know than, than you've already done. I think you've far exceeded anybody's expectations. So let me. I want to first. I want to go back to my childhood because you know being a victim of child abuse and a witness to domestic domestic violence abuse against my mother. It, it shaped me in a way. And when I was in fourth or fifth grade and so much of that stuff from my childhood, I blocked out, but I had a stepfather that literally almost beat me to death. And, um, you know, so that, that really messes with the kid's head. And in the following years, seventh grade, I, I found myself with nowhere to live, um, not knowing how to eat. And it, it's ironic because my whole seventh grade year, I can remember a girl that I went to school with bought me lunch every day at school. And I thought about it and thought about it for years. And outside of that, I don't remember eating anything else. I'm sure I did, but it was just that, that kindness. This, this girl, this little girl knew I was going through something, but she didn't know what I was going through. And she had mercy for me. She had grace for me. Um, when I turned to drugs, you know, Kids look for that positive affirmation from their mom or their dad or, or their 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 guardian, whoever it is that's over them. And if you don't find that, you're going to find it somewhere else. And that's what I did. And it was ironic because when I first used drugs, I was like, oh, wow, all my problems are gone. So I felt good. And it has been a long time since I felt good. But being a kid and not really understanding the impact and ramifications of drug use on a child and the impact it has on your, your rational, your judgment making, um, your growth, your maturity, all of these different things. I had to learn later when I was a man 
and I had to realize why it was I was using drugs. And all it was for me was an escape. It was an escape from my reality. And every time I used drugs, it seemed like everything was good until I sobered up. Then everything was bad, but it was worse because more problems come. And it just kept snowballing. And it, it took me some time to really understand the why in that. And when I was arrested, it was the that first moment in my life where I said, um, no matter what comes of this, I'm going to make something of my life. I have no education. I can barely read, write, count, all of that. I can barely do any of that. But I'm going to do something here. And I spent three years in the county jail waiting to go to prison. And I spent that time reading and, and trying to do all I could. And in county jail, there's really not anything for somebody that's in there in a max one cell. So I, I get to prison and I'm like, okay, I want to do something, but I don't know what, and I'm, I'm just a kid. So I, I spent my time educating myself because again, when you get into prison with a long sentence, there's no programs available to you. So my best friends became books. I started studying history and politics and, and literature and, and math and all these different things that I neglected in school. I finally got to a place where I could get my GED and I secured my GED in 2004 at Avon Park Correctional Institution. But then I was told, well, you can't go on a vocation because you don't have, you have too much time. So we went back and forth on that. And it was at this time that I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to teach myself how to trade stocks because my thinking was, well, I'm going to be in here for a long time and I need to have and be able to do something when I get out. And, and really, who's going to want to hire me? So I need to figure out a way to be self-sufficient, be able to provide for myself. I started teaching myself stocks, and um, it took a couple years, and I saved up a little money, and I got into the markets. And that's how I was able to support myself while I was in prison and send money home to help my family. Um, because that, that, that was important to me, because I, I have these little nieces and nephews coming into the world and I know what world they're coming into with my family. And that that's something that's always bothered me. And I've always tried to mentor them and tell them, listen, there's a better way Get your education. And I'm so proud to say that all the young nieces and nephews in my family right now are all straight A students. They're all looking to go to college and, and breaking that cycle and breaking that chain of addiction that plagues my family. So I, I'm sitting in prison in 2007 I get transferred to an institution called Marion Correctional Institution. It's over in Ocala. And I get there and I'm like, wow, what am I going to do here? So one of my friends suggests, he's like, why don't you get a job in the law library? You know, you're a smart guy. I was like, ah, well, get a job in there. And um, there's a gentleman that worked in there as a senior law clerk named Ron Baker. And he took me under his wing. He started mentoring me. And we started working on cases together and, and building things. And a few years after that, he goes home, and now I'm the senior law clerk. And I looked at him like, okay, what, what can we do to make this law library the best law library? So we started doing additional training with the clerks. We started looking at ways that we can give the inmate population tools, access, and resources to help them. I got an idea after that where we wanted to turn the library to like a a media station, like an educational hub for the institution. In 2015, I got the pleasure of being under the supervision of Warden Kim Chris Sutherland. 
and she was very program oriented. She was of the mindset to treat the inmate population as humanely as possible. Um, 2015, I approached her with an idea to start a program called Storytime Dads. And I explained to her what I wanted to do. She gave me five minutes to pitch it to her. In a nutshell, my idea was to record fathers reading children books to their kids. And then we'll burn the, the video to DVD and send both the book and DVD home to their kid at no cost to the Department of Corrections, no cost to the, the, the father inmate, and no cost to the family. So everything was on a donation base, and I got with different attorneys and different people I knew in the community, and they supported me in this. So it was such an amazing thing watching people, and you've been incarcerated, so you, you know the bravado that everybody puts on. You know the, yeah. the outward appearance that you put on to, to look tough, to, to look hard. And I'm watching these guys come in there, and I'm watching all that melt away as they they spend time with their kids in this video. And I have a I have a highlight video of this on my Justice for Richard Midkiff page. If anybody wants to see it, it's um truly truly an amazing experience because I, I started to see that most of the people that are in prison never had anybody read a children's book to them when they were a kid. So now that they're reading a children's book to their kid, it's like they are vicariously living that out through their own reading to their kid. And then I got to see something else where it started bridging the damage that was done by the father coming to prison, by the father not being there in the child's life. And it all hit home for me on Christmas Day 2015 when a little girl came up to me and said to me, I just wanted to thank you so for making it so my daddy could read to me. And I'm looking around and it, it, it was just so powerful because now I say, okay, this is, this is really what's important, helping people, you know, rebuilding damaged lives. And I, I really took on that mantle that I can do something no matter what, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm out, I can still do something to be a benefit to other people. And that's that's what I've tried to live my life to do, to be. Um, I made terrible choices in my youth, and I'm, I'm never going to minimize that or take the easy way out and say, oh, this was just one bad choice. It was choice after choice after choice, week after week, year after year, that led me down to this. So now I want to make choice after choice, week after week, year after year, being the best me I can possibly be for, for humanity, for society. And that's been my life mission. In um, 2016, they allowed me to start a program called SAGE. And SAGE is a personal development program that teaches about 14 classes a week to the inmate population where people from the surrounding community come in to teach these classes. So we have people that are real estate agents. We have branch managers from banks coming in. We do seminars where people who write books come in and they talk about the process of what you have to do to, to write and publish a book. We do financial classes, uh, communication classes, reflective listening classes. We have people from the, the suicide hotline came in and taught a class on conflict resolution, how to effectively listen to somebody who's going through it. Because in prison, there's a lot of people going through a lot of things. And it's not just the fact that they have a criminal case, it's they've lost a loved one, their their wife has left them, their 
all these, they're having health issues, all these things come up. So they say that the, the person closest to the problem is the one best suited to fix that problem. And I, I took that to heart. At the same time the SAGE program was going on, Gordon Sutherland asked me if I would create a career resource center in the library. We created that specifically geared to help inmates that were six months from going home. And at the time, I've got like 25 years, and I want these men to go out and succeed. I want these men to go out and be successful and not come back to prison. Because, you know, whether people like it or not, the majority of people in prison at some point in their life are going to be released. So these people are going to be bagging your groceries. They could be cutting your grass. So what, what type of neighbors do we want? What type of citizens do we want? And, and that kind of like became the focus of why I was doing the things I was doing to try to truthfully help give these guys the tools they needed to succeed while they were in prison so that they would have the tools to succeed when they got out of prison. Sage programs, Storytime Dads, Career Resource Center, all of these programs are still operational at Marion CI. And, um, you know, I've been gone a year and the guys are still pushing, still doing everything they can to help other people. So that's that's how I did my time in prison. Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, uh the one that you, the reentry program that you're talking about the personal development one because this podcast started out as a personal development podcast and then it then it kind of like uh turned into to whatever it is now you know they they take on a life of their own sometimes or maybe I think it's just it took on the life of my personality and so like my interests and things that that I'm into uh along with the personal development and telling other people's stories and stuff like that uh as as where I'm at but um to your point with the uh you know the the model that you created there I'm actually trying to uh I I've done the uh, articles of incorporation to start a nonprofit and for I want to do it as a reentry uh same thing you know for people coming out that you know maybe not don't get exposed to a program like you have there um because right. it's just in Marion it's not like it's been modeled and and dropped into uh every state facility uh and I think it's important because when you do go to prison you don't they don't the, the rehabilitation is is what you put into it and if that's it, true you know what i mean and it's if if you don't come in with any discipline which most of us don't uh, the whole reason why I got in so much trouble is I had no discipline and no supervision and, you know, nobody to tell me, don't do that bad, bad kid, you know? Uh, and so you have to relearn it and, you know, you've got, and I say this a lot because I've talked to a lot of coaches and a lot of, uh, you know, life coaches and stuff like that and mentors. And, and these people are actually, you know, have jobs and are, in life and doing things right they've 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 gone past the starting point and they're they're in their life and they need mentors and coaches so why wouldn't somebody who's starting way behind the finish the starting line coming out you know sometimes 20 years into a technology that that like where where do you start oh yeah you know what i mean and it's like i absolutely know what you mean 
So, I mean, we um, need that. That's important. So, I, you know, if, if all works out for you and I hope it does, and I'm praying that, that, uh, you know, the, the people that are behind you, the, the voices that, uh, you know, have, have thrown, you know, that you have in your corner from senators to, uh, other, uh, respected members of the community that are pulling for you. Hopefully that's enough to keep you, to keep you out and to, to, you know, you figure out a way out of this, whether it's either through clemency or, uh, a commutation of sentence or whatever it is, hopefully it works out because you and James said it perfectly again, that you are worth more, uh, like you can do more good from out here than you can from in there. Absolutely. You know, it's what you said is so true. You know, I spent 23 years in prison and I come home to smartphones and tablets and, you know, just, just all of this stuff so overwhelming when I first came home. And I took a deep breath and coming out, I had a great support group. You know, uh, God really blessed me with some people that he put in my life along my journey who have just been there to help me every step of the way. When I came out, those same people were there. And there's also a network that we have of people who get out of prison that we were all in prison together. And it's all the successful people. That, that stay connected and, and support each other and help each other. When I came out, uh, my mentor, he started the MCI alumni group on Facebook. And it was really cool because there was about, I'd say about 18, 20 of us who had gotten out in the last 10 years that now have businesses, families, uh, giving back to the community, volunteering in jails and prisons, volunteering in churches, volunteering in schools. And we had a big barbecue to celebrate this because nobody hears the success stories. Nobody hears about the guy who got out, started his own business, and now he has 10 employees under him. All they hear about is the guy who reoffends, and it's on the 6 o'clock news, and everybody's, well, why did he get out? You know, but nobody hears that. So I, I want people to hear the success stories. And when I came home, my eighth day out, I started working full-time as a paralegal with Prisoner Connections. And it's a paralegal support group company that offers affordable legal assistance through attorneys to the inmate population on their post-conviction and appellate proceedings. So the work that I did in there in the law library, I continue to do out here, helping people. I've been doing that full-time, and then I became president of an organization called LEA. And LEA stands for Legal Empowerment Advocacy Hub. And the whole nexus of that organization is to empower the community in how to know, use, and shape the law. You know, when, when, when somebody goes to prison or somebody goes to jail, their mom, their wife, their sister, their brothers, all these people are trying to figure out how, how do we, how do we help with this? How do we figure out what's going on? And they don't know how to look at a docket sheet or they don't know how to uh, communicate with the defense attorneys and different things like that. So the LEA organization handles that. The really cool thing is being with LEA, we're also in partnership with NYU School of Laws, Jailhouse Lawyer Initiative, and I work as an advisor to the law students there on how to interpose leadership principles into their law court training manual that they're going into the prisons and teaching. Just recently, we started that same partnership with Florida State University College of Law, and we're working in unison with NYU and NFSU to accomplish the same thing, to give people the tools 
to know how to really utilize the law, to know their way around the law library. It's been a great, great experience. I've been invited to FSU and NYU to speak on panels about my story and telling them what I did in prison to where I am now. So the, the, the same me I was in prison is the same me I am now. And I've just continued to try to grow and expand to help as many people as possible. We have a, a, a open arms that people get out of Marion regularly and go to. And every time somebody goes there, I know, I think they wrote my number on the wall or something because they, <laughs> they text me and they're like, hey, man, how's it going? And I'm good. So I was like, look, can I come by and see you? Can I take you out to lunch? And what do you need? Do you need some clothes? Do you need hygiene? You know, what, what, what can I do to help you get on your feet the best I can? And to me, that's, it's, it's worth it taking the money to do that to help somebody because somebody did it for me. But I want to give back and I want to keep that cycle going. So, you know, I'm sitting here right now, not knowing when, um, when the courts are going to rule on my motion. And that's the only reason I'm still out right now because I have a motion pending in the court. I've had a clemency pending before the governor's office since 2014. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm asking for mercy. You know, I'm asking to look at, look at who I've become. And, you know, there's, there's some senators that have publicly gotten behind me on this. There's former wardens in the department of correction who are behind me on this. And they all agree that, I'm the model of rehabilitation and what you want to see somebody as when they get out of prison. A law-abiding, tax-paying citizen who adds value to his community. And that's, that's been my life, and that's, that's what I do, and that's who I am. Um, you know, people can put their best foot forward for so long, but eventually the real you is going to come out. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is the real me. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Just before you were saying that, I was going, you know, the one thing about, you know, and, and you, and I, and I've experienced this because I've been an addict and, and, you know, you have been as well, but your authentic self, you know, people will, you know, can, can usually fool you for maybe, I don't know, a month, two months, 90 days is about the point where, where if that's not who you really are, You'll start to see, you'll start to see, uh, uh, blind spots in their, in their personality or chinks in their armor. And in about around six months, you're going to really know if that's really, if that's who that person is, then that's who they, all of this other, you know, uh, stuff won't even be there because you're just authentic and, you know, what you see is what you get. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a perfect way to be. Um, so what is your, uh, like, I mean, I, I know, I know how you're feeling from the perspective is that I've had to self surrender before, but like I knew I was only going for 90 days. Right. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, all right, well, I mean, that's cool. It's going to suck, but you know, I'll be back. I'll be home soon, but you're facing what? 10 years left on your sentence. Yeah. Another, another decade in prison. And you know, it's unconscionable for me to even wrap my head around it where it was very specific when my co-defendant and I were sentenced and the judge was very specific when he spoke it on the record. 
And he was very specific when he sentenced me first and then sentenced my co-defendant to a longer sentence after me. So one of the hardest things that I've had to do since this situation has come up is go and tell my mom that I might have to go back to prison. My mom's 77 years old. She doesn't understand, you know, law, tech. My mom doesn't even know how to text. And all she could do is look at me and say, but that's not what the judge said. That's not fair. And that that's so heartbreaking because, you know, my mom, I love my mom to death. She gave me life and I honor her as my mom. And that's how I've been since I've come home. Every week, I'm just seeing my mom. I'm helping her and doing everything I can to just lighten the load a little bit. You know, she's got full custody of a 13-year-old and 11-year-old that she's had since birth because my sister's an addict. My mom's having to deal with this. Now she's having to deal with the prospect of her youngest son possibly going back to prison. And, you know, it's it's like I'm in this, this dream that I just can't wake up from. Yeah, sorry about that. I got to... Uh, Richard Jones and, uh, or Joe Martinez and, and, hold on a second. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm, all right. Sorry about that. All these guys are supposed to be watching this. <laughs> um, anyways, so yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's definitely un un. Uh, dude, I, I could I, I just I couldn't imagine that man. Um, like you just like what more can you possibly do? You know, I it, it's and so is it like is it the the prosecutor just. I mean, like, what what is what is the reasoning behind it? Just because this is what their interpretation of this law is, or, yeah. or you know, and- so what what it boils down to is them saying that because this stipulation was not specifically written on my plea agreement, then I have no right to enforce a stipulation in his plea agreement, even though the stipulation was put there in his plea agreement to protect me. What, what's the, I mean, what, what's to gain? Uh, you know what I mean? Like it, what I, it, usually there's something to gain. I mean, if you're already out, you know, why, why, why even mess with it? You know, obviously there was a reason why you got out and, you know, there was right. a, a, a deal that was done way before this person even came into the picture, um, through that office. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I wish I knew that because it, it truly doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I've tried to wrap my head around it. I've tried to be objective. Not an easy thing to do. You know, I am um, being this close to my own case. I tell people that come to me for help that, look, it's your job to be emotional. It's your case. It's my job to be objective and analytical. So it's, it's really hard for me to, um, to, to be analytical about my own case because I'm very emotional about this. Yeah. I, 
I under I understand, man. Um, so why don't you at your uh, hashtag Justice for Richard Midkiff? Uh, you actually have a petition there that uh, people can sign. I do if they want to support uh, what you're doing or support you in the process of of staying a free person. Absolutely. Um, you can find me at my Facebook page, Richard Midkiff, um, or you can go to the Justice. For Richard Midkiff group, and on that there's there's video, there's um, a petition, there's articles that have been published by the Marshall Project and Florida Politics, and it, it'll show people, you know, who is behind supporting me, the the senators and different people that are, are actively trying to ensure that I don't go back to prison. And just any, anything, anything anybody can do, praying, helping. I don't know what else to do. You know, I, I've not really slept in a month and just been been nonstop trying to figure out a way. And you know, again, I'm not I'm not saying that I was ever wrongfully convicted or anything like that. I, I participated in crime and it was a terrible crime and somebody lost their life. You know? I've done my best to honor my mistake by being the best citizen that I can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. What more can you do? I mean, in, in my opinion, you've, you've, you've gone above and beyond what most people would have ever done, uh, in your situation. Um, you know, you took a proactive approach to everything that you've done since you appears that since you've been incarcerated and, uh, you know, continue that uh, path on your, you know, as you're out as a free person. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, I can't see them acting on this honestly uh you know especially with all the support that you have um from people in in the community as well as uh elected leaders so um, i'm rooting for you man i hope i hope that you uh you you get out of this situation and you're allowed to continue on with your life and and move on man you've 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 done your time you know you still it's it's not like you're free you're you're still going to be on probation yeah you know so you know, just uh in June nineteenth, nineteenth, I um I got engaged to my fiance and we're we're planning our wedding for April tenth. And um yeah, I just pray that I'm 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 given the opportunity to to live my life out here and, and show how much value I can add and and have a family and have that opportunity and and be in the community and, and continue to be a citizen that is doing all I can to help other people. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what else to do. And I mean, just the thought of going back to prison right now, especially with the, the rising numbers of COVID in there, it, it's, it's terrifying. I have a friend who just died two days ago from COVID-19 in prison. Yeah. So yeah, that, really hit home with me and that really made me think about my god what 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 am i walking into you know i'm definitely not walking into the prison i left over a year ago the whole world has changed since then so it's a it's a very scary time for me right now but i'm definitely doing everything that i can to one maintain my status as a citizen of the state of florida and even in the midst of all this, I'm still doing everything 
as that type of citizen because I have faith in, in what's right. I have faith in justice. I have faith in people coming together for the right cause. If I didn't, there's no way I could do the work that I do. So I have to have faith in that. I have to believe that there's a, a bigger purpose for this situation going on other than me just going back to prison for another decade. Yeah. Good point, man. Uh, I definitely appreciate your time. Um, your, my platform is open to you if you ever need it uh, for anything, you know, uh, regarding this or just, you know, something that you want to put out there and, you know, that you're doing another program or something that you, uh, in the future, uh, I, cause I imagine that's not the only thing that you're going to be doing. There's probably more in store for, for you if you're, if you stay out here, uh, and not, you know, go back to incarceration. Um, so yeah. And I'm definitely looking forward to trying to collaborate something with you as well, uh, and modeling what you're doing out this way, uh, or what you'd already put into play out over here. That way we can, you know, sort of help these guys that are getting out in California. Uh, Absolutely. I, you know, I gladly share the, the information and framework of the SAGE program with anybody. Um, you know, you know how a lot of people they, they get knowledge or something and they want to just they they want to keep it. Yeah. I, I want to share it with everybody. I want everybody to have the tools. I want everybody to be successful. Um, right before I was released, I, I got the opportunity to start a program called Sage Prodigy, and this program is geared to deal with the the young men who are 18 to 22 years old in prison. And a lot of these kids they've been gang banging and selling drugs and everything since they were 10, 11 years old. And now they're in prison and you got me standing up in front of them trying to tell them why they should change and, and, and be good. And they're looking at me like, oh man, you got to be kidding me, this guy? So I said to him, I said, let me, let me ask you guys something. How many of y'all got kids? Every hand in the room went up. I said, all right, how many of y'all want your kids sitting in those chairs listening to some other you know, square white one? Every hand went down. I said, okay, we've, we've, we've crossed the first hurdle. You love your children and you don't want them going where you're at. So let's do what we can do to fix that. And it was in that moment that I gained these young men's trust, at least a little bit that I could build upon because I'm, I'm being real with them. And, and that's what it's all about, being real with people in the situation to, to do everything you can to help. Yep. Yep. And that's, uh, and that's where it starts. I mean, if you truly want to make America great again, you have to give the Americans the tools to be able to be great. Right. And that's where part of the problem lies is that a lot of us are not, it's not that we're ignorant or we're dumb or we're anything. We're just uninformed on some of the things that, that are important to navigate this world and this life. Um, and you know, whether you want to say it was done on, if you're listening to me, it was done on purpose, but if you're listening to somebody else, that's a little more reasonable, <laughs> they may have a different idea about it. But I mean, the bottom line is though, is that we, we all lack that information. And unless you just like in prison, unless you go out and seek out the information yourself to better yourself and make you a more informed and, and, uh, uh, person or, uh, you know, citizen, you're, you're not, you're just going to continue to go through life sort of, uh, in, you know, not feeling in dull, I guess it would be the best way that I could put it just sort of numb because you don't, you're, you really don't know the information you need to know. Yeah, that is true. So, 
Good on you, man. I, I, I applaud your efforts and everything that you've done, uh, you know, when you were incarcerated to being out and, and all of the stuff that you're, you're involved in. I, I definitely commend you and my hats are off to you. And I hope that people out there will go to justice for Richard Midkiff and sign the petition. Uh, I'm going to head over there as soon as I'm done here. Uh, I just got, actually just got that information this morning. So I'm going to go over there and sign. I hope you all do the same. And, uh, Richard, I really appreciate you, uh, coming on and giving me your time and allowing me to, uh, share your story with, uh, the world out there and the people that are following me. So, uh, any last things that you want to plug or, or do before we uh, sign out here? I just want to, um, first off, I want to thank you for the opportunity. And, um, I want to close with this. The situation that I find myself in has truly renewed my faith in humanity. When you're in prison and you spend decades in prison, there's a lot of coldness. There's a lot of, a lot of no empathy, no compassion. There's just a lot of, um, just a lot of darkness. And I've been around that for so long where everybody's just so self-serving and it's all about their individual agendas. To come out here and to see the amount of support and people who have stood beside me and lifted me up and, and pushing for me has truly renewed my faith in humanity. So I just want to thank everybody who has been so involved with this from the beginning. And I mean, from NYU School of Law to FSU College of Law to the, the team at Chicago University to Columbia, on all points, everybody has just been so supportive. And that gives me hope for tomorrow, especially with the, the state of affairs that we're currently in in this country. So thank you to everybody for your support, your love, and, and sharing this message and doing all you can to help me. Much appreciation. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. And also, I want to apologize for the uh, phone interruption there. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't very cool, but I thought these were, these were actually people that you'd talked to. So I thought they were calling me for a reason and it really, it, right. I realized that, that they weren't. So apologize for that. Uh, I'm not, well, un- all right. I'm not unprof- unprofessional. It just wasn't what I thought it was. So anyways, uh, you can also, you know, find my podcast, uh, you know, I do the live stream, uh, on Facebook, uh, live and also YouTube live, but this will also jump onto my, uh, podcast, uh, platforms as well like itunes spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, all of those other ones uh will be there shortly and uh yeah let me see here uh yeah and then also too if you want to share this you can go to my facebook uh, uh profile page and you can share that from there to timeline or to a group. And you can also start a, uh, a, uh, uh, what is that called? It is a watch party too, as well. So that's another way that you can do it. And then, uh, yeah, as soon as I, uh, I release this as an episode on the podcast platform, I'll send you the links to that as well, uh, in your email. So once again, I just want to thank Richard, uh, for giving me his time and sharing his story as well as his situation with us. And I hope that we can help you in return. Well, thank you very much. And, um, it's been an honor to speak with you and to be on your show. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Uh, take care. We will be in touch. All right, thank you. All right, bye.